0: You the perfect amount of scruff, you still have the It's Sandos in the sidekick on the Bucketeer Sports Network.
1: Good Friday, Jay Sandos, Mike Gallagher. Another edition of Sandos and the Sidekick as we talk ETSU men's basketball, women's basketball. Failed down. Failed down. And bowl. In which I'm feeling good about my three.
0: I'm feeling good about our fourth fail today. Stick around for that oh, because there are the going fails. to be very big fails. opinions about other people's opinions that probably listen to the show and maybe upset. I'm going to come in pretty hot in the fourth fail. Ooh,
1: so be I, prepared. I, 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 I have, in full disclosure, I do send a couple early. Uh, I never know if they make the cut or not, so it's always kind of a fun, entertaining segment for me to know if I know what we're going to talk about because sometimes I do and sometimes I don't. Uh, that being said, something I think I know a little bit about: ETSU men's basketball. They will take on UNCG to round out the regular season. Something I don't know a lot about: UNCG. And I watched, uh, went back and watched this morning uh, some of the Western Carolina game, the win versus the loss, just to see what really the. It's, it's very odd because felt like UNCG actually played better offensively, did some things. It seemed like better offensively. Now I know. It's a little bit of a rough shooting for Miller because he's eleven to twenty-seven, but I mean he still threw twenty-eight on the board. I mean he was still able to do things. And UNCG hit ten threes in that game. Problem was, Western Carolina went unconscious fourteen to twenty-six, and Faulkner banks another one. I mean, I'll say this about Faulkner, he had twenty-eight as well. If you give him late in the game, I need a guy to make a play. He's there. Early in the game, you need him to do some stuff. Sometimes he is. Sometimes he isn't. Late in the game. You want him to make a play, that guy can make a play. So, uh, upset to say the least, UNCG now um, still can be the one. They need a win, a little bit of help, which isn't hard help. It's Wofford to beat Furman. Wofford can actually be one from the three slot right now because all they need to do is beat Furman, needs ETSU to win. And for Furman, it's easy. You win your number one. So, Uh, That's the short of it. ETSU knows they're going to be in the white or blue uniform in the 4-5 game versus Chattanooga. We know that. It was interesting that ETSU needed three things to happen to be in consideration for the three seed, got two of the three, and Citadel had a double-digit lead at Furman, but Furman obviously at home. And I kept getting to Kevin Brown, and he's a believer, and and God bless him for that. But I'd never – Thought that that was going to hold up. I thought Furman for sure would come back and win. They did. And so now Furman's put himself in the best spot for the number one seed. The problem is they got to go to a place in which they have struggled to win, and that's in Spartanburg versus Wofford. That being said, very interesting to see the last two results um, and the swing. And it goes to show there's a lot to be said for playing back-to-back in the splits and everything else. And I know overall if you look at it, it's probably 70-30, still the sweeps, because there's still better teams that play not good teams, but you get these games where occasionally a West Carolina turnaround. And UNCG had three of them, and they split all three. Back-to-backs versus Wofford split, back-to-back versus Furman and split, back-to-back versus Western split, and it was interesting because if I'm not mistaken, I think, you know, UNCG goes and wins at Wofford, then Wofford wins at UNCG, then Furman, they each hold serve. Furman wins at Furman, and UNCG wins at home. And then UNCG goes and pummels Western at their place in the Ramsey Center, and you're thinking, well, that's going to be an easy sweep. And then Western comes out and shows up and wins the game.
0: UNCG also did have a back-to-back against Sanford now. It's a little different. Oh, they had four. That's right. I told you, for Sanford. A little different because of, of Sanford. They won both of those. But your point's well And taken. they were on the road both, too. Your point's well taken, and I wonder, too, you know if you don't have those back to backs if those results change because now because of those back to backs and just the way the league has shaken out it just feels to me like we're destined to have everybody split with everybody and unless i'm mistaken if Furman wins against Wofford and UNCG wins against TTSU, keep in mind not things i'm rooting for not things i want right go bucks but if those two things happen all of the top 4 would have split with each other now then technically i guess Chattanooga would be the fourth team then because the Bucs would have lost. Correct. But you get the point. Traditional top four in the Southern Conference.
1: The preseason top four would have all went one on one
0: is what you're saying. So I'm curious, with you watching some of that Western Carolina game, if you thought it was more about UNCG and just not playing up to their potential, kind of sleepwalking through a game, or if it was finally, because this is what it looked like to me, finally the Western Carolina team that we thought we would be getting the entire year, which is almost cruel irony. I'm not sure for Western if they feel like it's a bigger win in the sense that wow, there we are, or if it's almost a dagger to the heart, right? Because it showed what they could be and they have just not been the entire season.
1: It is very confusing that they have not won more games. I I think they still could have struggled in a league and been good, similar to the rest of the league that's got, you know, five, six, seven, eight losses if you look across the board. But for them to be up until last game, holding on to dead last, I, I think, was just shocking uh, considering everything that had started in the offseason. They were returning players, being able to get a couple guys with the the waiver in the middle of the year, all the good fun stuff. But, you know, shooting 54% obviously helps, and I don't know. They're capable of doing that. They I really thought they could do that. On. I'm
0: not saying 54% every right. night, but they can I hit they could double be digit around threes, 47 right. 48% the entire year. Yeah, and, and
1: they did start off on fire, and I don't know if that was maybe false sense of what they really were or maybe they fell in love. And, that, you know, I didn't watch a lot of Western Conference games after the first few because they just started losing. So, I, honestly, I just – I didn't – early non-conference I watched a lot because it was ETSU's first conference opponent. So, I watched a lot of non-conference, saw what was happening. I was like, man, these guys are just battling and winning winning games. Just like Chat. they were battling winning games late. You know, able to make plays when they need to, and didn't give up. You know, they would have swings where they would be up 20 in a game and go to overtime and win, and they would be down 20 and come back and get it to overtime and win. So, um, you know, they did it on the road. They did it at home. It was, it was the pieces are there, and then they added some more firepower. And I don't know if that disrupted. I don't know what went on, but certainly something happened. The chemistry was off or something, and it just did not end well for West Carolina up until, I guess, the last game. I guess the last game ended well because they were able to pick up a win at UNCG in which, I'll be honest, I don't know if anybody saw it coming. I mean, I think even some Western fans probably didn't see that coming, especially after the pummeling they took a couple days ago uh, prior to that contest. But I think it does say a lot about what Western could be. I think it was shocking that UNCG – Scored eighty and lost. I, I would have. I, I think I said that a few weeks ago, right? Yeah. I, even on the podcast or sitting here. I know I, I said it out loud. That you know, if they get to eighty, it, it's. I you know, I might have even said the word impossible to beat right. them, and right. certainly ate crow on that pretty quickly because Western Carolina proved that you know you you can score eighty-one on a team that scores eighty and and UNCG, and I just have so much respect for how UNCG plays defensively, guards. You know, they make it. Not quite Wofford bloodbath type games, but they certainly play physical. They do a good job of getting people out of their offense. You know, making them use the shot clock, all the other things. So, I, I think I it says love a lot of West Miller. Oh boy, I do. I've changed my profile pick and everything. He's, he's unbelievable. But um, I think it probably says, going back to your question, it probably says a lot about what Western could be, because man, they play like that and. Honestly, the way this tournament is setting up, now they've got to win an extra game, but if they were to win Saturday, then, you know, in their 8-9 game, they beat Citadel. I mean, whoever the one seed is, and there's one of three teams, I mean, they've got a legitimate shot, I think, to beat one of those teams if they play like that.
0: Here's or they the, could lose by 35. We've seen that. Here's the one reason I'll say I think this is more about UNCG, because generally I'm in the same boat as you are. This is an underperforming Catamount team extremely talented. Now, you look, and you do make a good point, it's something we harp on with a number of teams in the Southern Conference and have throughout the conference season, a lot of moving parts, right? You can see what Chattanooga's been able to do once they finally got some chemistry, once they finally got all their pieces in place, figured out their rotations, and just developed, I think, an understanding of what the other person next to them was going to do on the court when they were in certain situations. They've turned into one of the hottest teams in the league. Western Carolina hasn't been able to do that, and I think part of that is Sincere McMahon misses a month. Is he one of their mainstays? No, but he's a role guy. Travion McRae, who I know you like, I know I like, he has not played since late January, and obviously added Hightower about three weeks into the season with that blanket waiver. And now you've got Mason Faulkner coming off the bench, by the way, scoring 28 points against UNCG, as he did, having some success there, but coming off the bench, very interesting to see. So there have been a lot of things. Oh, and Cameron Gibson by the way as well. I didn't even mention Cameron Gibson who we previewed and previewed and previewed and I Big Cam Gibson fan. I made love to him verbally so many times on the show and It's my favorite thing about the show. He certainly has not I think been what we remember him to be. That horrible injury he suffered a little bit over 1 year ago against DTSU. So that addition has just not lived up to Definitely what I hyped it up to be Because it basically was like, all right, Willis Reed Out of the locker room, Game 7 NBA Finals You know, Um, for Cam Gibson It's been a struggle, he's come out a bit lately But um, just kind of a throwaway year For the young man, unfortunately So, that's a lot of your roster right there, right? Those are guys that you were going to count on in one way Or another Um, So, very interesting to see how those type of things Have gone, but in terms of UNCG For the last five games now They've allowed double digit threes And they've only done that two times the rest of the year so is there a bit of a trend there? Are they getting lackadaisical and going out and defending those threes? If it's one game, I get it, right? I get it. It's one game, 14-26, to 26, Western got hot, a lot of frustration released that night, get a big win. But when it's four of your last five, and yes, some of those teams are uh, a few of the higher volume three-point shooting teams in the conference, but I think, I think the numbers have been like 46%, 44%, like a 35% and then 54 percent uh of what the opponents have shot against uncg outside the arc in those four games so i don't know it's a concerning trend for your guy west miller and uncg as they come into freedom hall on saturday
1: well they're going to get a streaky shooting team uh from three that uh, could hit ten threes threes and uh could hit three threes and take about 25 threes so um you know, it is interesting uh, and looking at that for the year, they've held teams to 33%, so certainly, you know, it might be a mix of both. It might be, you know, maybe teams are figuring out the press and getting a quick shot. I will say this, if you can get UNCG out of the press, then you either have to get a quick three, or if you can get them out of the press and they're not pressing, then you can get more three-point looks. Most of the three-point looks against UNCG that are clean variety, I believe is when they break the press and get it up there. So, for example in ETSU, the few times they've been able to get them out of the press was really the, the 2017 championship team the 16-17 year when Tevin Glass, a four-man who was a good passer, was able to get at mid-court catch and throw to opposite corners to two different shooters and ETSU was able to knock down threes. Mercer is a team that is able to kind of get the ball up and do that, hit threes, get out of the press and they, and they did that they didn't hit the last three of the game after a frantic comeback but they were able to get shots like that western i'm assuming because of the quick turnaround you know they were able to figure out how to get and i think that's where the advantage is for maybe teams playing that press uncg you just saw it you know what's going on you can make a slight adjustment i'm not saying west doesn't make adjustments but I'm just saying you kind of know what that press is, right? And it's so good for them and has been over time to slow people down that that could have been it for the second game for Western. But Chattanooga's got shooters that can shoot threes. VMI, that's their game. But VMI, you can put Jake Stevens up there and he can throw over the top of that zone. And you got plenty of shooters that can shoot the three. So, you know, I, I think it's probably a little bit of scheduling and guys and teams that set up well against the press would be my initial reaction without going back and really watching three or four games worth of tape to, to see if that's true. That's just a guess. But I think if you can get them a quick shot in it or you can get them in just half court, I think you can get clean-looking threes.
0: couple of things on tomorrow. When anyone except Isaiah Miller leads the team in scoring, UNCG's 9-0. Makes sense, right? simply because you've got probably the league player of the year. I think you and me both agree on that. The Agreed. The most impressive force on both ends of the court that the league has seen over the last couple of years. Agreed. And, 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 and even if he wasn't the best player this year, I still think he would get it, simply because he was the preseason player of the year, and it's just a body of work type thing for a senior perhaps. 10-0 um, and 0 when they shoot above 45%. So there's a couple of things there that are obvious, right? You have to shut down everybody else. And we saw that ETSU did that in game one. I think Isaiah Miller had, what, 24? Nobody else was in double figures, and it worked. That's exactly what they need to do again. It's easier said than done because for a couple of Spartans coming in, they're hot. Keyshawn Langley, Caleb Hunter, uh, 8 at 10, I think it is, for Langley in double figures, and 4 of the last 5 for Hunter. So who's it going to be, right? And an and interesting trend that I looked at in terms of UNCG's wins over ETSU, they actually haven't had a player score over. 15 points in a game against the box in wins three of the last four so that just adds to the point right who is going to step up for UNCG will it be Hunter will it be Allegri, who you remember had his basically launching pad of his career against CTSU a couple of years back will it be um, Langley Hunter you know Allegra any of them? Abdul Salam has led UNCG twice in scoring you know so they've got a lot of different guys that have seemed to step up at the right time now a couple of setbacks lately I think they were 12 and 0 against the league outside of the top four until the VMI and uh, Western Carolina game. So, you know, I, I, I don't want to say that they're just going through the motions to finish the year. Certainly it's a huge game for them. They've got a chance at the regular season title and the number one seed on Saturday. Uh, but they've definitely taken a step or two back. I think the key, obviously, you got to play tight defense, um, and you have to make sure that no one else beats you. Isaiah Miller, get as many as you want. But as long as it's not Abdul Salam, Langley, Allegri, any of those guys I think you're going to be in good shape because the way Miller is offensively he's limited in certain areas and is only going to be able to do so much
1: I think the big thing is yes if he wants to take 30 shots let him feel free I think the other thing is ETSU was so dominant on the glass it was ridiculous they were ETSU was plus 17 in the rebounding category was plus, I think, 13 on second chance points. They had more points in the paint. They were able to get in there uh, and do some things. Now, fouls were about even. Free throws were about even. But you look at the field goal percentage numbers, 33% for UNCG. ETSU shot 45% from three. It was 47% for ETSU on 7 of 15. Very patient. Sorrell Smith was a big reason for that. He had found some long-range shooting in that game. But I think the, the let everybody else get theirs, great point, you. I think rebounding, one and done for UNCG. I think certainly being able to finish right around the rim, ETSU, um, 10 of 17 in that game. And, you know, I love the charge circle, you, you know, lab. So they were 10 of 17 uh, compared to 8 at 16. But if you stretch it out to the paint area, ETSU hit three more shots as well. Um, you know, from the paint outside the charge circle. So all those areas I think are key for ETSU. I think that will help in stretching how ETSU handled the press. You know, last game, and it's been a while since we've seen ETSU, but David Sloan back at the point letting Ladarius Brewer off the ball. If you remember the first game, Ladarius got off to a quick start. I think he had like the first 10 points or 10 of the first 12 points against UNCG, got off to a huge start. So all that more, I do want to mention Isaiah Miller's coming up on – Uh, an incredible number. He needs two steals for 300. Wow. And so he is second all-time Southern Conference. And think about all the great players. Now, he is behind. You know, ETSU fans probably know this stat, but Keith Jennings is still the all-time leading steals man with 334. So unless there's a deep, deep run, not just in the SOCON tournament, but either in an NIT or other tournament, then Isaiah Miller will probably finish second. But to get 300 steals and be the second one, in 100 years of basketball in the Southern Conference, I think you have to give him tremendous credit for what he's been able to do. And then you add his steals to one of the best top five shot blockers in the history of Division One basketball, and they're still a very dangerous defensive team that is going to have to be careful with.
0: Hayden Koval, the active leader in the NCAA by 82 blocks. <laughs> it's outrageous. He's well over 300 now. And if he, I uh, looked up yesterday, if he's able to, well, he can come back next year. He's obviously not going to block a gazillion shots more this year unless, like you said, I mean, they go and make, you know, the NCAA championship game, right? But he needs 72 to get to 400. He would be the 22nd player to ever uh, get to that 400 mark. And some of the players in that company, Alonzo Mourning, Tim Duncan, Shaquille O'Neal. So, you know, some pretty good player. is a whole right? Well, I mean, you know, Hayden Koval belongs in that company, I, I think. Maybe? No, maybe not. Maybe he hasn't quite that pedigree yet. But certainly, uh, shot-blocking-wise, that's going to be a big difference maker. And ETSU navigated that well in the first game that these two teams played. But how have their recent struggles changed what they're going to be able to do around the rim against a guy like Hayden Koval, right? They struggle in the charge circle. They've struggled in the paint. Easy baskets. Looks that... Certainly sometimes are disrupted, but I think you'd ask anybody on the team, you just got to make those shots. Jason Shea has said it. You, those are the ones that you have to take advantage of, and the Bucks haven't been able to do that. So then throw in the, what, you know, top 50 right now in terms of the history of the NCAA, but someone that could end up top 15, top 20, depending on if he comes back, and the active leader, the best shot blocker in America, and it's not even close that's a recipe for some difficult times inside. You hope it doesn't go that way, but considering the Bucks did navigate it well in game one, but certainly, I think recently, it's maybe gotten into ETSU's head a bit, and they're compounding their own problems.
1: Yeah, and, you know, and he's good for about two and a half blocks a game, if, if you just do the numbers by career. And, and this year he's, I think, s- slightly by the minuscule, just under that. But he's still right there. And so, you know he's going to get a couple. I mean, just It it is. That's what's going to happen. The question is, can they use pump fakes? Can they be aggressive? Do they go at him?
0: Get him in foul trouble.
1: That's right. Do they get him off the floor? You know, there's there's plenty of different ways to to go about it for ETSU. But I think it's important. They have to go inside. They have to get to the rim. They've got to be able to do some things. And as you mentioned, Coach Shea said, they've got to be able – getting there hasn't been their problem. It has been, you know, completing the play, completing the act of a layup or a contest or whatever. And, honestly, they've been not very good in transition the last few games, which has been shocking because that's usually the bread and butter. But they've left points on there, whether it's a bad pass or they're, you know, and and sometimes even secondary. ETSU's been real good about getting out on the initial break and then getting a trailer, right, for a clean look. They've struggled at that the last couple games. So I think transition will be another thing because if ETSU can get some easy points in transition, I think certainly – that helps every game, but I think they can get transition points on offense, stop Miller and them transition on defense, no live ball turnovers because there's nobody better in the business than getting a live ball turnover and throwing down a ridiculous dunk. If it's not a Brewer Brothers, it's Isaiah Miller, so both teams are very excellent at that. I rebound it. I just go back. I think it's going to be very important for ETSU to dominate on the glass. And I don't know they'll be 17 again. Certainly would be welcomed, but I think if they can dominate the glass – score around the – I think I'm going to make it very simplistic. Win the rebounding battle, score right around the basket, limit the lob ball turnovers, knock down some jumpers.
0: That is the one odd thing about Hayden Koval, too. He really doesn't rebound. I mean, for a guy his size, you know, 7'1", 220, obviously. I mean, and he likes to
1: shoot threes, right? And he got stands out there, he's got 69 attempts right. from three.
0: Obviously very athletic, you know, with that frame and – his ability to block shots. But, yeah, it's very odd, which I think, again, leads to some of that, where they will get beat on the glass. And certainly a, a turning area. I think Koval versus Sedeke is going to be big tomorrow. Yeah,
1: yeah. I, I mean, their leading rebounder is Isaiah Miller, right? right. Or Well, I guess – Right there. So, so long right as it's there. seven. Yeah. yeah, seven and seven. One guy's averaging a little over seven, one's right at seven. So, again, credit to Isaiah Miller and just how really good he is uh, and has been for UNCG. Yeah, when
0: we looked at that stat, I was shocked. We looked at that yesterday and I – seven (laughs) rebounds that pretty much sealed player of the year for
1: me yeah yeah you know i I was was still trying to find a way to get you know it's shocking i was trying to get malachi smith of chattanooga the player of the year but as i kept going down the numbers i was like it just they just point to that i will say it's going to be interesting in freedom hall um and I'm curious, I'll give you my take in a second, but I'm curious, Furman Wafford because that's obviously the other big game of the day, but finish your thought first.
0: Uh, well, I think that everything's destined for a sweep. You know, I, I'm a conspiracy theorist in that way. It, it's why I said that UNCG and Furman were going to sweep. Remember, Furman won by like 23, and I was very convicted on Twitter that it doesn't matter. You know, UNCG is going to win the next, and they did end up winning two days later. Um, I was just going to say, um, that's not the last Malachi Smith piece of conversation we're going to have on him today, which is interesting. People people like Malachi Smith, stick around for more conversation
1: on that. Anyway, what's your take? Sure. Uh, My take, I'll say this. I was convinced a few weeks ago because of just tradition and how everything's worked out, 100% going to be Wofford. I'm only waffling. And it's not that Furman can't beat Wofford. It's just they've had trouble beating Wofford there. But I seem to know nothing about the league every time I think I figure it out. So I'm not picking a winner in this. Uh, That's soft. I, well, if I did, I'd pick Wofford because honestly, I'm just, Caldwell, I'm just a, heck a, a heck of a guy. He's a heck of a guy. So sorry. I mean, I would go well, – if you're saying I have to pick somebody, I'll take Wofford because I just go with Furman has trouble beating there. I just feel like the way this year's worked out, this is a perfect time for Furman to go in there and finally kind of get over the snide. That's exactly right. So, I, you know, I, I could easily – there would not be anything – I would have been shocked earlier this year just because – honestly, it's the same theory. I'd be shocked if she went to Furman and won. It, it's it's just not what they do. They they just, you know, and I, I'm going not just under Steve Forbes and Jason air I'm going Murray Bartow, I'm going back to the Ed DeCellis days, I'm going back to Alan LaForce, I'm going back to Les Robbins. I mean, they just have, it's just been a tough place to go play for whatever reason, no matter how good the team is. I mean, the Derek Waugh-Furman teams, who at times were awful, beat a ranked ETSU team. So I'm just saying, there are times that um, I would just say, you know, just tradition, I go with, Furman BC tissue at home. I would go with just tradition. Wofford beats Furman. This year is so out of whack for everything I thought I know. I, 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 Furman, I think, can go in there and win fairly easily.
0: Am I going to go back and cut out the I know nothing about the Southern Conference? Absolutely. Putting it right in the bottom bar. All right.
1: All right. You ready to move on? Williams basketball coming up after this timeout. Sandham Sidekick. On the Bucket Sports Network. Over the last seven years, Johnson City Power Board has had a same trusted partner you rely on now we've changed our name to bright rich to match our vision to deliver on our promise of great service you can count on embracing common sense technology to strengthen the communities we serve we're glad to be your public power provider bright Ridge. Sanderson, a sidekick back with you and hopefully we'll not have another 40 minute delay before we have women's basketball uh, for mercer on saturday and that was um certainly health and safety 100 percent not arguing that but uh, out of all the things in 2020 2021 i thought you know it's kind of over we're going to do move on all the good fun stuff and then, and then we had the um, situation last night in which there's a playwright showing symptoms. They went ahead and gave rapid tests. Second test was negative. We're going to play. Now one of the officials doesn't feel comfortable. I'm not knocking the officials. Certainly I don't know any underlying. Either they have conditions or family members or or what or just their right as a human being to not try to put themselves in harm's way. 100% agree with that. Then two officials said they would do it, but we had to wait for Southern Conference to say they would do it. And then another supervisor apparently had to sign off. From what I've been told, I'm not 100% sure everything. That being said, like it was like a 41-minute-later tip.
0: Which I know was your favorite 41 minutes of your life.
1: Oh, that was... Uh, How did
0: so you I, do over on ESPN Plus?
1: Let me just say, I was out of notes, but then just pretty much relegated my thought process to nobody listened for the 41 minutes prior to the game. So I just re-racked all my notes. But I was out of pretty much all the material, filler material, that that you never use 40 minutes because game action always eats up that. Right. And luckily, me and you both are psychopaths in preparing and notes and things. Very meticulous, and it, it's it's one of the things that that I've enjoyed about people coming in. I've been able to find guys that have similar things because I've dealt with other people that just don't, you know, they get one or, one or two notes on a guy yeah. or whatever, and then they're done. Yeah. And then or they may flip through the game notes on the fly, yeah. try to find something, but. You know whether it's Parker, it's John Stevens, Park Schwartz, John Stevens, other guys that worked with me, Keith Brake. You, I, I've enjoyed that. For whatever reason, I've been able to find some like-minded guys that do deep dives into ridiculous stuff. That it, and honestly, there's a, a lot of one-upsmanship sometimes. Where we're like, "Hey, did you know this? Hey, did you know that?" Yeah. Right. <laughs> and, and we will do that. So that being said, I feel very good about my preparation. I was not feeling good 41 minutes, and I was like, "If this thing doesn't tip here soon, yeah. I'm about out of. I, I don't know what else to." Do except for ask Bruce what he's going to do in the off season. I, I mean, I was running out, but we were able to get it tipped. And then, like I said, luckily, normally I scribble and like line and like rip it up and like you'd never be able to read it again. Right. But because it had gone, I had at least done a good job of doing like little check marks, and then everything was still. Able to read. It was. It was interesting. It was obviously death. If anybody wanted to go watch forty-one minutes of me dying to carry a, a, a broadcast, and and the bad part, not being courtside, you're having to wait for relayed information, and you're having. You can see the coaches and at the time either the SWA, the AD, everybody's over there. They're talking. They're talking to all of our people. I've still got to wait for the relay then I've got to be able to continue to talk why I'm getting it fed in my ear right. to then eventually uh, try to remember, write, regurgitate, all that. So it was awful, uh, but we eventually got a basketball game in, and, and from there I felt fine. Except for the result, obviously, because it was Chattanooga.
0: I do often get the people looking at me like, what are all those notes? Like, you know, the, the looks of, you must be out of your mind. But you feel vindicated after a night like that because – Because you
1: never use – you know you come close to using it, no, right?
0: and – it's not like I just went through and read the stuff. You know, I, I did some, hey, this is what this week looks like. Touched on a little bit of ETSU men's basketball. Hey, don't forget, after ETSU men's basketball in the spring, we've got football, did a little bit of football, and then talked about the rivalry and talked about different player. Kelly Post senior day coming up. So talked about her for about four or five minutes and so on and so forth. But you feel very vindicated on a night like that when you've got these 7, 10, 12, 20 pages of notes, that, however many that you end up bringing to a broadcast, and you need to use a decent amount of them because I actually I felt ended up last I felt great time. that I had
1: had Kyle, old Joe Johnson as I call him, mm-hmm. I had him, uh, he's one of our production guys, I had him make a graphic of if the tournament started today, mm. and I had went and made sure I had all the scenarios right, yep. so I was able to talk, so that was a good filler for a while. I, I, did, I really wanted to do it so I could zip through it at a halftime more than spend 10 or 12 minutes That's on it, exactly but it was really a great true. 10 or 12 minutes. If
0: somebody asked me... Earlier they were like, what did you talk about? And I was like, gosh, you know, I get in a zone sometimes from I'm just filling time where I just black out and don't remember. But now that you bring that up, I think that is exactly what I did for the first, like, I think 10 or 12 minutes. It's pretty incredible. It would be, be interesting to go back and match up yours versus mine to see exactly what we were talking about. But anyway, uh, digress. This game unfolded to me, and I know this may not make sense to you because you're doing football, and my guess is you probably didn't go back and see ETSU lose by 19 to Sanford and rewatch the women's basketball game from Saturday. But it played out almost the exact same way, and I, I just was hammered into the broadcast because you had the good start, score eight of the first ten. Well, against Stanford, you scored eleven in the first fourteen, right? Going to twelve nothing run um, does it was an eight nothing run for Stanford, twelve nothing run for Chattanooga, and you lead by two after the end of the first quarter against Stanford. It was three last night, then. Pretty big second quarter for Chattanooga, much like Sanford. Going to the locker room, you know, opponent takes the lead. Sanford, it was a four-point lead. Chattanooga, five-point lead. And then you got to avoid the horrible third quarter. 20 of the first 23 for Sanford, and for Chattanooga, they end up scoring 17 of the 25 in the third quarter. It's a big lead going to the fourth, and then ETSU makes a little bit of a comeback, and they end up losing by double digits. It was almost exactly like the Sanford game, which was so frustrating because, I think I first said it, it was like three minutes to go in the first quarter. And then you're sitting there watching it, and it's unfolding exactly like a game earlier in the weekend. In fact, I was talking to Matt Bush, who's SID for uh, ETSU Women's Basketball, along with myself, and he was like, it kind of reminded me of the Western Carolina game. And he went back over to the Western Carolina game, and it was almost the exact same thing. It's three games in a row where almost the exact same thing has happened. And it just has to be so frustrating for Brittany Azell and the players and obviously for us because – it's almost like watching, and this is going to sound harsh, it's not truly how I mean, it's just a cliche. It's like watching that train wreck that you can't look away from and you just can't stop, right? Because you can foresee what's coming because you've seen it before and it just keeps happening like Groundhog's Day. I I was going to say, I was going to take a step
1: further and say a train wreck that happens on Groundhog Day. I was exactly going to say. And The amazing part was when they went, well, first of all, I thought when Chattanooga made a, I thought a very strategic error and um, by taking a shot with 10 seconds to go in the first quarter, and they could have killed the whole quarter. Yeah. ETSU was able to get a rebound. It was the 11th point. It was the third three by Carly Hooks right in front of Chattanooga's bench. And I thought, you know, again, I'm doing it on ESPN Plus, but in my mind I'm like, okay, here we go. This is a nice – that's going to jumpstart you in the second quarter. And then they scored a bucket or two fairly quick in the second quarter and got up eight. I think it was 23-15 at the 634 mark and then they proceeded to get out scored going in the fourth quarter like 36 to 10 or or, or so, close to that if that's not exactly right. And I mean it was just one of those where it was like and they packed it in and ETSU is streaky to say the least from outside and a couple of those threes were the were Kind of the rattle variety where you're like, Okay, you know, they're right there, it's gonna drop and it just never dropped. And and a matter of fact, it got to the point where it looked like Chattanooga at some point, if the ball got outside the arc, they just took a step back like the complete yeah. I dare you. Yep. And yeah. what do you do? I mean you're a division one athlete, you're like, they take they're forced it from me, I have to shoot it, but at some point you've got to make it and it just didn't go down.
0: Well you call it the old pack line defense, right? That's right. You put everybody line. inside the arc. Tony Yeah dare everybody to shoot from outside, and that 2-3 zone that Chattanooga played last night is one that teams have really started to use a lot against DTSU, and the Bucks just shooting over it has not worked.
1: And they're going to see it Saturday. And
0: they're going to see it Saturday against Mercer. Um, there were some positives. I, again, not to uh, just say, oh, well, you know, train ride can't look away. Can't no, I stop. hope you're going to
1: bring it. Oh, go ahead first. Well, I was going
0: to say Abby Carey. Yeah, it. there you go. I mean, uh, you have
1: to the way the way that injury happened, and to see her. But was it seven games, eight, eight games, seven uh, games?
0: It was at least a few weeks. I think it would have been seven or eight if the Bucks had played all their games during that time. Um, she had only taken nine shots the entire year, made one of them, and was the twelfth or thirteenth option for ETSU, right? Um, and gets a second opinion on her knee, and goes back up to Ohio, and it really, I mean. There were people in the program, myself included, that were saying, "Well, oh, you know, just shut it down. Don't play again this year. Don't risk any further damage, right? I mean, there, there's no point. I mean, there's a couple of games left, right? And it's not to say that the Bucks can't go on a miraculous run in Nashville. They absolutely can. And then maybe you reconsider, right? But a couple of games left in the regular season, and you're not playing a lot anyway. So, God forbid, in practice, somebody falls on your knee and then compounds the issue, and then you're out for a further period of time, and it becomes a lot more of a journey back. But they said, hey." You can play. It's not going to get any worse. You know, you're going to have to, in the offseason, do a few things. but Yeah, I'm right, sure
1: the second the season's over, though.
0: But but right now, everything's all right, so go ahead and play it. And it was just so awesome to see her have a big day. Ashante Brown, too. I, I mean, the... Move against, I think it was Awusiaba in the fourth quarter where she, was. she had, she had the ball exactly and brought it up and was kind of palming it right by her right shoulder against the end one. And uh, there were a lot of feel-good things for me last night. Um, Elise Stafford hit her first three in over a month, and goodness, is she struggling. It was really representative of a couple of things. And you talked about threes rattling in and out. I think there was, I think it was Elise on the right wing, might have been Carly on the right wing. I, th- I believe it was 38-30 to 30 at this time. A three rattles out, and they go back down the other way, and Dina Jerrells rattles in a three. And I think when that three rattled in, I was like, it's just not fair. The bounce is supposed to go your way at home, right? These are your baskets, you know, something along those lines. And I think right after Elise's made three, she comes back down, shoots from almost the same spot, and, again, speaking of Groundhog's Day, this is like Groundhog's Day except it happened the complete opposite way. Uh, she makes the first three just dead center. I mean, splash, just beautiful. And the exact same spot, 30 seconds later, and it, like, kind of wobbles out of her hand and barely grazes iron. And she was wide open on both. And I just had to look and question my entire existence. Like, how does that happen? Someone that led the Southern Conference in three-point percentage during league play last year, and 30 seconds, one thing's great, and that's bad. I just don't It's like the it,
1: right? They talk about that in baseball. Or the yips, or the it, or whatever. Like they yeah. got it, and it just like
0: golf too. I'm putting. Right, 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 right.
1: It, you know, like Chuck Knoblock at second base oh, just yeah. can't throw the Steve Satch. They can't throw the ball. They literally can't throw the ball.
0: They Batteries thrown at him and in, in the Metrodome because of that. So I yes, mean, I, yeah, I totally remember that. So, but I
1: mean, some sometimes it just happens. It's unexplainable. You don't know. It just stars align the wrong way as opposed to going the other way. I, it's hard to explain, but it is so because. Every time you talk to her, it's a pleasure to talk to her. Unbelievable kid. Every time I'm seeing her, she's doing what she's supposed to be doing. I always a you know, smile on her face. Working yeah, in the right. gym, very good teammate. Everything that would make you want to pull for somebody. And to watch the, the maturation process for her growing to then the brick wall she's ran into. So strange. It is. It's, it's, it's I don't know. I'm right there with you. It is very baffling. Every time I see one go down, or a couple of games ago she hit back-to-back, and I'm thinking, here we go, and then she missed five in a row after the back-to-back. So, I, I'm i right there with you. Uh, and, and then it was, it was frustrating because then you'd see Olaf and and uh, Gerald's would – and Jared my goodness, does she –
0: She looked good last night.
1: Yes. Huh? And there wasn't a shot she was not afraid of either, whether it was going to the rim and taking contact – or I'm just going to shoot from 35 or, or whatever. I mean, sometimes I have to admit, I'm sure Katie Burrows was a little frustrated because the lack of offense is just whatever I want to do, and I get that. But she also had a career-high 17 points and looked good doing it yeah. and, and was able to distribute with nice passes. The the play where uh, was Cornelius saved the ball to of bounds. Off Op of
0: Opton. Well, or a, the one that stayed in. It, the, uh, it was the one that stayed in because
1: then Gerald did the behind-the-back dribble Kind of cross up and then threw it back. Then then uh, came back and played pump fake, went to the rim and scored. Oh my goodness! Like that was both of the like that you talking about somebody just saving the ball, not giving up play. But the point guard, uh, backup point guard, Dean Gerald's came in, made that play. Uh, I know again Corinne saved it, but the fact that she was able to dribble, create separation, and get it back to. Her. But anyways, speaking it, of it career okay. highs,
0: Carly Hooks, uh, the eleven points she tied in the her, first right? quarter, she ties it with sixteen. It would have been great to see her take more shots. Right, she, she did.
1: Shoots. She, she took one okay, in the second quarter. Three of
0: five in the first quarter. Goes on and takes four more shots. Doesn't score in the second quarter, and that's where you saw Chet and nugget kind of start to make some headway and take the lead. And the Bucks just struggling off. It's only scored 16 points in the middle quarters when Hooks was pretty quiet, and. I have a hard time critiquing it at the same time because what have we said about Carly Hooks? She's been the volume scorer, right? She just takes a lot of shots and kind of forces the issue and has to get up a bunch of shots to get up a bunch of points. I mean, that's only the third game that she has had more points than shots this year. And, you you know, you always want it to be at least a one-to-one ratio in terms of points. So, I don't know. I'm kind of torn both ways, right? You're hot, so keep shooting. But then you don't want to force it. Second
1: quarter. Didn't take a shot. And I, I, I started to say it, and then I had to stop because I wanted to make sure I was correct.
0: Now, I did pick up two fouls, but she was still out there for four or five minutes.
1: But really only picked up two fouls late, oh, was that? Yeah, late, right. Yeah, right? right? very late. Yeah, right. And, but still, I, I, that was – and she ended the first quarter. You know, there couldn't have could have been a confidence issue. My goodness, she was playing well, shooting well. I mean, she got the first three off the second chance, right, and the second one – did a nice job. Uh, to use Davis as a screener and then stepped back and hit it. Third was the transition. On the, I mean, there were three different type threes and hit them all. And I, I like you, look good doing it. Got to the free throw line, hit a couple free throws in that first quarter, and 11 points. I'm sitting there going, okay, somebody's going to care. And then just no shots in the second quarter. And I don't know if that's a freshman thing. I, I don't. I don't feel like. Chattanooga didn't think – I mean, they packed in a zone at some point, so you'd think she'd be able to get a shot. But, again, I mean, you
0: I'm mean, i sure that Coach has always been you're like, hey, just, you know, you're doing great, everything looks good, but you got to take less bad shots, right? Like, no, you've got to be smarter too. with the shots that you that's do take. Exactly. So, I don't know, it's just it, – it's tough because you want her to take more, but then you're like, well, okay, don't shoot us out of the game. And I'm not sure Carly Hooks can win in that argument, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, Mercer – on Saturday, so I'm Senior kind of curious.
1: What uh, Senior Day Kelly Post. Yep. Um, and um, so short though, right? Because she got not quite a full season. Yeah. Uh, everything else. Um, I, for Mercer, I'm kind of curious, and, and this isn't the old, you play for nothing. And in reality, yes, as far as seeding, certainly play for pride. You want to nobody wants to take a loss going in the tournament. You yeah, know, all whatever. eight
0: seeds are set at this point.
1: But I'm just wondering what. Does, you know, Mercer do? Do they play the same game, or do they? They were expecting a week off. Somebody gets thirty minutes. They get twenty-five minutes. Yeah, I wonder. Do that they too. do it? So I, I, this is going to be very interesting. Do if if the score gets a certain way, do they start pulling people early? Do they just limit? You know, maybe somebody plays normally eight minutes in the first quarter gets seven and six, and then they're playing. You know. I don't know what really to expect for ETSU. I think. I mean, I think you just you go to the wall, right? I mean, you just, you just play as hard as you can because you're trying to get a win before you go. But for Mercer, I'm kind of curious to see exactly what – because they're kind of top-heavy in uh, their performance, their scoring, what they want to do. Now, they do play zone, so um, not as taxing defensively. Depends on who you talk to. Some people like zone's tougher. Some people say, well, you know, zone isn't. I'd probably your coaching philosophy – and what you like, and you make fun of the other one. But that being said, I, I kind of feel like, you know, Mercer's coming off a tough loss. This could be an interesting game where Mercer's maybe not looking forward to the game because I had a feeling they didn't really want to play this anyways. And then what's their attitude towards the game? This could be a real, I think, opportunity for ETSU because they did end the game with a little bit of momentum, and they're playing, moving on. They got some of the young bucks. I heard coaches' comments. You know, hey, maybe maybe go a little bit more of a youth movement, give them a little shot, last game regular season, see what they can do a little earlier in the game. And if that's the case, maybe shots go down. And, again, I believe threes are contagious. Well, if the first couple threes for somebody goes down for hooks, but, again, nobody really took a lot of threes in second quarter. But I, I think if they could get that and get another shooter on the floor, how does that help?
0: This is almost, speaking of, gosh, I mean, I feel like I'm just saying Groundhog's Day and things repeating deja vu all over again. You know, that's the theme of – the show so far, but last year, Senior Day, ETSU Mercer, and the Bucks were down I think 12 in the fourth quarter, and stormed back behind Gabby Brown and Amaya Adams. Uh, Adams ends up with a career high 13 points, and it's almost the exact same situation. Uh, like we talked about, I mean, all eight seeds are set. Mercer is going to play in the first round. Uh, Western Carolina, you know, the two seven matchup. ETSU is going to play Sanford in the one eight matchup. Um, this will be interesting to see what they do. You know, They've got four this year. There was three last year, the big three that was back. I certainly thought they had a chance to win the league. I think I voted them second behind Chattanooga, and both those teams have been solid. I did not see Sanford doing what they have done, but Andrea Cornoyer to me, is a Southern Conference Player of the Year, and they've got Armstrong, they've got Ramil, and they've got a ton of talent. Carly Coons uh, has done an excellent job. She's my vote for Southern Conference Coach of the Year. Um, so do they put Titus Doherty... Amoria Neal Tyser out there and Tyser came off injury last weekend so better part of three weeks is what she missed before returning against Wofford scoreless night one played more night two put up eight points but she's already been on kind of a minutes limit just 26 combined minutes against Wofford so do you play her at all right I I mean I don't think that this is you know we're fooling ourselves and saying this is NFL or NBA load management you know and resting people in week 17 things like that but certainly you expected to have a week off And this game was very close to not being played, about 30, 45 minutes away from not being played, as a matter of fact, um, in terms of when the announcements came. But now that it is here, you know, considering it's kind of late in the game, right, you're the only ones playing Saturday, do you try and keep the advantage that everybody else has with that extra day or two of rest because Western Carolina and UNCG play tonight? Uh, You know, Neil Tyser is someone I really, I'm not sure with coming off that injury, I would would play at all. Uh, Titus, you know, she's... Got a motor that will never quit. So, I mean, put her out there, right? Uh, Doherty is uh, in a possible player of the year race. I think she's right there with Cornoyer. Um, and then you've got Lewis, who I think really has been the X factor this year. She's that fourth player that they did not have, and she has been exceptional, really taking them to another level.
1: Yeah, I think her uh, Georgia State, right? Yeah, correct. So I, I think that was the one thing. So I did watch a little bit um, yesterday. I was going to watch some. I'll probably watch this afternoon. But I, I did watch a little bit of Mercer. Um, and that was the one thing that kind of jumped out to me because I kind of knew the the three p- previous ladies you talked about and what they bring to the table. Um, Doherty, Titus, uh, Vanessa, but. Or, um, who am I missing?
0: Doherty, Titus, uh, uh, Neil, uh, Tys- Neil,
1: Neil Tyser. Sorry, Neil Tyser. Sorry. Um, I knew it was a hyphen or something, but uh, uh, okay. that being said, the one thing that jumped off was Lewis. I thought there's some dynamic things that she brings to the table that. Certainly you could see while Mercer was right there in the thick of things. I, I really want to watch the Sanford-Mercer game um, from yesterday because, number one, it determined basically who was the champion. So I want to watch that. And I also want to see sort of how the end of the game is because I think there could be a real hangover factor. Again, I think Mercer, if somebody had some truth serum, they just want to play the last game, win or lose, they were either going to be first or second. I think they had no interest in driving to Johnson City. Saturday, drive back, and then come back to Asheville on Thursday. I was 100% like that. Now, I think Sanford fought the other way and was like, well, you know, they're going to go by half game. And granted, it doesn't matter who you're playing in the standings, right? you still got to go win the game. And so my guess is that the league eventually was like, yeah, you've got to get this game in and whatever. So I, I think – they are not excited to come to Johnson City. I think they want to know part of it, even if they would have won. I think they want to no know part of coming to Johnson City. They would have played for a lot more because they would have had to win that game to make sure they were the number one seed. I don't know how the tiebreakers would have went if they would have beaten Sanford and lost to ETSU. That's more math than I'm willing to do right this second. But more likely, you just know if you go beat ETSU, you're still the number one. Now it doesn't matter what they do, they're number two, and they have coming off a big loss. So I'm not sure exactly what to expect. Right now I think we'll know early. I just don't know.
0: And maybe that plays into it. They're coming off a loss. Do they want to make sure that they get everybody back right on the same page, have a feel-good game going into the tournament? Uh, They've had close calls against teams that are around the bottom of the league, needed overtime to beat Furman back on January 21st, needed overtime to beat Western February 4th. In fact, they were up just one against UNCG in their first matchup against them in the fourth quarter. So every team that is in the bottom half of the league outside of uh, ETSU, who obviously they're playing for the first time, Tomorrow, uh, it has not been easy And so, you know, maybe there's some of that In Susie Gardner's mind Maybe the fact that Susie Gardner and Brittany Izzell go back as far as they do Maybe Susie Gardner wants to go out and Really prove a point, you know, who knows I mean, the motivation could be pretty much anything But Lewis certainly, just to go back to her for a moment Has been, I think, what has made This team go And maybe Titus is the one that makes it go Lewis has been the one that has made the difference This year in taking Mercer From a 4-10 and team last year To being second in the league Uh, Because she, unlike Jill Harris, you know, who runs some points and leads the team in assists, Harris shoots just 22% from the floor. But Lewis can score it, too. She's in double figures, second on the team with 68 assists. So she can do kind of the whole package on offense where that's where you've got Harris lacking a bit. And and this team, you know, this Mercer team, when they're on, they're about as good as it gets. You know, second in the league in both, scoring offense, scoring defense, second in the league in three-point percentage. What ETSU did so well last year at this time, was limit Mercer beyond the arc. 0 of 3. They didn't make a 3 the entire game. So, we'll be interested to see what happens, what goes on. I know it would be great to have a game like last year, send Kelly Post out in a feel-good note from Brooks Gym, um, and then just pack it up, reload, and it'll feel like a lot of time to prepare. I've been a little bit of time for Brittany as well because she's had to have three games in five days, and all of a sudden you have five days to your next game when you face Sanford, and you're coming off um, a week where you would have faced Sanford anyway just, uh, you know, what, seven, eight days earlier. So... Um, always a fun matchup because Susie Gardner and Brittany Azell are both you know, very good basketball minds and do have the connection that goes back and well thought of in the coaching community. So the the cat and mouse game, the chess game that they play, I'm really excited for.
1: That'll be noon tip, 1130 pregame show, 4 p.m. ETSU men's basketball. Yeah. So double hitter day. We'll be uh, switching slots. I'll be doing TV the first game, you do radio, and then we'll do it uh, the opposite at 4 o'clock in a different building. So we'll do that. Uh, don't forget to tune in Air Sports Network. Basketball coverage all day long. All right, right, we'll step out for a timeout. Speaking of unprepared, me, fell downs after this timeout. Say no sidekick on the Buccaneers, Sports Network. Three, two, one, happy New Year! Now you can enjoy the new year with more games, more chances to win, and even more fun from the Tennessee Lottery. And you can play any way you like. Play quick and win big with instant games or try drawing-style games that pack a big money punch. So don't drop the ball. Make a resolution to put a little more cash and a whole lot of fun in your pocket today with the Tennessee Lottery. Game-changing fun. Please play responsibly.
0: About to ruin Jay Sandos's day by doing no fail downs. Jay, don't cry. Here it comes.
1: Looking at you funny. You, you get you gave me some weird look, and then I waited for you to finally play the right bumper. Is that First a fail down?
0: Fail. It is not. First fail, Dion Sanders. Oh, comes crazy. out in his post-game press conference that his kids played really well in Jackson State's season opening victory. I think they beat something called Edward Waters, like fifty-three to nothing. And that immediately changes the subject to things being stolen out of his office. Then there's a report that says the items were just moved. And then on Tuesday, he says, quote, we're fine. And this got some national attention. Stephen A. Smith uh, ripped Dion mercilessly, essentially for indicting what it seemed like to me that Stephen A. Smith was insinuating is that Dion Sanders was indicting the university and its culture. And what Stephen A. Smith said is, hey, look, HBCUs already have enough of a difficult time when it comes to you know recruiting and keeping up in terms of, you know, On field talent simply because of the perception around HBCUs, you're not helping Dion. A very strange situation when I think Dion Sanders, and obviously, you know, stuff gets taken out of your office, yes, but you got to have a little bit of composure coming out in your first time coaching game, don't you?
1: You What's went by like a out? thousand. Yeah. Everybody wanted to talk about that. And then it was very odd because it went from, and he got national writers with it because, again, football isn't going on right now in the FBS level. So FCS is it, right? And Dion's the name. And so there were national outlets that wanted to see Dion's coaching debut. And then a national well respected national writer is like, hey Dion, post game said it got stolen. And then he goes, Well no, the athletic director told me it wasn't stolen. Oh no, wait a minute. Dion corrects me on Twitter and says, By goodness it was stolen. One of my people stopped it. And it's like, what in the world is going like if you I'll just I got down a rabbit hole just reading those threads and I'm not sure and then Dion even doubled down at some point and I think it's gone but said he his stuff was stolen once before. Oh wow. So I'm like, holy cow, <laughs> like what is so um and maybe Dion, I, I don't know. I, I don't know your situation. I don't know this. But maybe maybe don't carry hundreds of thousands of dollars of jewelry and leaving it, it in your locker. Like quite the, I'm and, just he saying. Said, and
0: he said, Thankfully I was wearing my chains and I was just sitting there like I, Dion, you're supposed to be the head coach of this team, not worried about, I mean, let the kids have their moment for, for the love of goodness. Like, what are you doing? I, he was so off base, and to me it came off just very, very childish. Like, I, I don't know. I, it did not strike me as great leadership, and after a first game win, that would be concerning for me. Now, keep in mind... It is Deion Sanders, right? So he's going to get people based off the name. He's going to be able to recruit at a higher level than Jackson State is at, simply because he's Deion. But in terms of the, yikes, just perception, speaking of perceptions, that he gave me with that post-game interview, I – boy, I don't know, Deion. That's tough.
1: Not a – not a great win for a win, right? Correct. Yeah,
0: yeah. And if it's a loss, and then you pile on, I'm it's like, okay, well, you know, he's upset about the loss, and then stuff got stolen, like, wow, that, that's a tough day. You won, like, 53 nothing. Second fail. Jeff Goodman. Our guy Jeff. Former guest of the show, Jeff Goodman. Uh, stadium now. Used to be at ESPN. Yep. Uh, what's with the Michigan coach on the phone during the game? Is what he tweeted about a screenshot. I believe it was, like, nine seconds left in the second half. I think well, Michigan yeah, was going State, on to get right. another victory. Mm-hmm. Uh, Your favorite program is uh, crushing it right now on the court. Seemingly, with that tweet, looked to me like he was suggesting that there might be some sketchy activity happening on the Michigan bench. Now, you're a Michigan guy. It sounds like your program is full of cheaters, just like your favorite NFL team.
1: (laughs) What I enjoyed was the immediate reaction from almost everybody in the Big Ten that knew that was the director of basketball ops. And because of certain situations where you're limited to, ops people are taking post-game meal phone calls court side and so everyone assumes that that's what it was but it was so funny that he led that and the first initial reaction was oh yeah you've got them they're cheating that's illegal people are like quoting the rule book and then from there like every big 10 not just big 10 school but every dobo out there shot a message to goodman he got blown up by not just that. Then it was analysts. It was head coaches. It was like it was like holy cow. So I don't know what he was trying to accomplish, um, but whatever it was, it did not work. And or if he was just trying to make a funny, it, it either wasn't or not. So I, I don't know what uh, Mr. Goodman was trying to do, but it did not go well for him on the Twitter sphere, as everybody went at him pretty hard on has he ever seen a basketball game, which I enjoyed because he's only covered it for like you know thirty years now.
0: It looks like Spygate two to me. Oh, no, okay. Yeah. Fail. Fail. Again. fail. Urban Meyer. You heard of him? Uh-huh. <laughs> yes, I have. Iowa's Chris Doyle, <laughs> a longtime strength coach who was dismissed because of alleged mistreatment of players. And I don't know if you had a clock on how long that hire lasted, but I believe Chris stepped down about what? 24, maybe 36 hours into being appointed to his post for the Jacksonville Jaguars,
1: I enjoyed that Urban quadrupled down on we vetted him. We we know what he is. This is fine. I did whatever, and then very quickly it went south. And I think there were questions about Urban Meyer going to NFL, as there is every college coach. Okay, I, I feel like that the same questions go. Same thing with college basketball. College sports is about the head coach. The NFL pro basketball players, athletes, right? Stars. The players make more than you. In college, clearly that's not the case. And so, this felt like a college guy who isn't quite aware of how this goes and if a couple players are upset or uh, in this case it was a player's union for the most part, uh, come right back at Urban. I think the – again, we, we talk about not knowing the temperature of the room, right? We're not doing, I felt like Urban Meyer was the typical college coach that came in. It was like, I'm just hiring this guy. Just like, I, I'm in charge. I've got this.
0: I can't stand it. it. And then it went bad. And then it went stand. bad. It went bad. I mean, there is – in my opinion, no more arrogant college football coach in the last 25, 30 years. And that's – arrogance is pretty prevalent in that particular population. Uh, Urban Meyer just seems to want to think exactly what you said, like, I'm Urban Meyer. This is my hire. You know, come on, get out of my the way. Col-
1: major college coaches have had success tend to really like themselves. Oh. And, and, you know, we, we've seen it with um, Coach K, right, where he blasted the – the poor student got for no reason, and then, student you report. know, uh, Saban will go at people. I mean, yeah. we've seen Tom Izzo do that. I mean, we've seen I mean, Bill Self did it recently. I mean, it's just a thing that th- those guys at that level—they're uh, just such geniuses. You cannot yes. say anything right. to them. That's they just right. are better than everybody, and us peons are too stupid to understand. Yep. And you can probably insert top ten football, basketball coaches for sure, and they're all going to be that way. And and that's not a knock on any particular one. That's just – and, honestly, that's part of probably what makes them great, too. Except you hate
0: them. I just can't do it. I'm sorry. Okay. I always like a versus fail to round us out here on fail downs. And attention to SoCon John Hooper. (laughs) We're going at SoCon John today? Attention to ETSU Men's Basketball SID, Kevin Brown. Bigger fail, Jay Sandos. SoCon John Hooper yesterday put out his unofficial. Now, I'll preface all this by saying the asterisk is he's still thinking about it.
1: Okay, okay. Now, I was going to say, because sometimes he puts out, like, seven before he puts out his official. I just saw the first one, and and it got me fired up. All
0: right. Kevin Brown also said, you know, this is not official. I'm just kind of – we worked through it yesterday. It was a very big day of sitting around and talking about ETSU, the Southern Conference – and exactly what we wanted to see go on And who we were picking for the all-conference teams And so when Sokan John stoked the fire uh, Unbeknownst to him, right? We're, you, me, and Kevin are sitting around doing this And we have long, drawn-out discussions And then Sokan John drops his. Yes, it was... Uh, blasphemous is not even uh, the right word for it, I don't think Now, it depends on your philosophy Again, these unofficial, so I'm not releasing their results And their picks without them knowing or anything like that But And it's on Twitter, I mean, SoCon John's is Kevin Brown's is not, but The bigger fail, Jay Sandoz, including Noah Gurley on the all-Socon first team, as SoCon John did, or not including Noah Gurley at all on any of the teams like (laughs) Kevin Brown did. SoCon John, Kevin Brown. I mean, you've got some uh, (laughs) middle ground here, don't
1: you? SoCon John, goes first team, Kevin Brown, he's not even in the top 15. Okay, uh, let me say this. I have Noah Gurley in the top 15. I do not have him on the first team. I personally, and uh, Brad Stone, right? He's he's a Furman guy. Yes. He listens to our podcast, and Brad hopefully listens to this segment because I would like for him to tweet at me to let me know if I'm right or wrong. I, is Mike Bothwell not a better player? And if you had to pick a MVP of a Furman team, not more important than Noah Gurley, I would argue Clay Mounts is still above Noah Gurley. I and now I'm an Alex Hunter fan, but I'm not arguing that Alex Hunter is the best player on the team and all that. And I don't want to go into that thing again. But I, I feel like Gurley is the third wheel of that. And again, this is no Gurley's a heck of a player. I'm not. This is no not doubt. a. This is not a knock on it's Noah an Gurley. It's the
0: indictment of SoCon John and Kevin Brown. Right. I
1: think it's a. I think it is an egregious reach by SoCon John because I don't think he's the best player on his team. No. I think it's. More egregious that Kevin Brown didn't even consider him in the top fifteen. So, so I, I give. It's tough to say which fell is worse. I, I just don't think he's the top. I, again, I don't think he's the best player on his team. So I don't think Noah Gurley's in the top five of the league. Now he's a, he is an all conference player. Again, yes. sometimes you split hairs, okay? And he's an all conference player. He deserves to be on an all conference team. I do not think he's one of the top five best players because, again, I think there are a couple guys on his team that are better than him. Um, I would really, really, you know, again, I don't watch every Furman game religiously. I've watched a lot because they're good and they've been good over the years, so I feel like i got a good grip on some of that stuff, except for people's hometowns that I forget about. But I would like to know if Brad Stone hears this, and if he doesn't, I may tweet at him and ask him just which guy is – Better because I feel like Bothwell mounts then Gurley if I had to rank the the top three Furman players. And with that being said, that I cannot put Gurley in the first team. He is on my all-conference team. Yeah. He's just not on the first team.
0: This is the only way that I can justify having any Furman paladin on the first team. If you think that a member of the best team in the league, and you believe that Furman will emerge as that tomorrow. And keep in mind, these are not due, I don't believe officially until Monday. So everything can change with these ballots, but it was too good not to poke and prod at. Uh, Everyone is so even of those top three, Bothwell, Mounts, and Gurley. They're all so vitally important to that squad, and I think equally so, that they are a tremendous second-team player. But none of them stands out over the other Enough to put him on the first team, in my opinion. But, again, the only way I think you can justify it is, and now we should justify this by saying Sokan John is a Furman guy, correct?
1: He covers him pretty religiously, yes. Uh, okay. So he sees more. So there's more sure. There's more um, bias, maybe. Right. Right. I mean, a couple years ago he had Clay Mounts on the first team two years ago. And, and again, I like Clay Mounts, but, I mean, he was he was over, you know, like, I, I'm sorry, I think it was Bo Hodges. It was a couple other guys. Okay. And and the and the numbers like at least you could look at Noah Gurley's numbers and say okay we've got some numbers, again he's in the conversation. I don't think two years ago Mounts was in the conversation.
0: Here's where I really got upset about it because you and me actually, much to my surprise, agreed on pretty much everything up until the fifteenth player, and then we just right went back and forth yeah, okay on that. we could argue over was fifteen. Yeah. Right. So how is Malachi Smith not on the first team? of a SoCon John or a Kevin Brown, as a matter of fact. they did agree on that. But you've got a Furman guy on the first team. Again, the only way that I can see it is if you demand to have a player from the best team and you believe Furman is the best team. Who, who was his five?
1: Did you write it down?
0: Uh, SoCon John or Kev? SoCon John. Uh, it's on Twitter. I can't I'll remember. I, I believe we agreed on the other four. I think it was Parham, Miller, Hayden Brown, and who am I missing? Uh, I believe it was on your team as well. Uh, who's your well, storm guy?
1: Murphy? Storm Murphy, yeah. Storm it Murphy. was
0: those four, and then instead of having Malachi Smith, it was Noah Gurley. Malachi Smith second in the league in rebounding.
1: I'm, I, I, now let me say this: He's if, like six if, in the league if, and it, in scoring. You know, so we had to rank 15 to one, right? That's how you rank it. So 15 is your top player. And I went Isaiah Miller. I'll tell you who I went. And then you go 14. So 15 through 11 is your first team. 10 through 6 is your second team. If Socon John had Malachi Smith at 10, then I, I could, I could still. I would not agree, but we could have a conversation. If you had Malachi Smith way down on the second team or on the third team, I just think that's egregious. Because if, if you look at Malachi Smith numbers, he had him on the second
0: team. Okay,
1: then it could be close-ish, right? I, I don't, you know, he didn't rank it that way. He didn't give you all his points. And there is something to be said. Okay, Furman going to, and, and, and again, I had Mike. Mike Bothwell knocking on the door of the first team, not Noah Gurley. That being said, I agree with, okay, if you have the best team, somewhere on there's got to be a player. But you could also argue three guys are gobbling up all the stats and it's spread out even. Three
0: second team guys. And
1: if you look at Malachi Smith, other than Hayden Brown, he's got the most double-doubles. I mean, he's doing everything. He's got more. He had more assists than everybody on Furman. He had, I believe, more steals. Why well, did he didn't have more? Uh, he did not have more assists than Hunter. The three guys we're talking about. I think he had more assists. He had more steals. He had more blocks. He had more rebounds. He averaged more. He shot better from the floor. I mean, it was just all the number. All the numbers bear out to me. And okay. and, and he carried his team oh, okay. from want, like a nothingness to you where. You want to make
0: not. the numbers argument? Allow me to make the other argument. David Jean-Baptiste was supposed to be the top returner on this team. He was half in, half out the first, what, you'd say 15, 16 games of the year. He played the first five, entered the portal for four, came back, was coming off the bench, maybe not fully back and clicking with his teammates until this nice run that they've been on. The rock of that team, which is one of the most improved, or I think at least one of the most overperforming teams, along with VMI, I'd say probably VMI is the most improved. Chattanooga is the one that I expected the least out of that has provided the most in terms of results this year, because I thought without Vila, without Matt Ryan, and the fact that Gene Baptiste was who knows what he's going to do from day to day, I thought they were going to be 7th or 8th in the league. And you look now, and what has been their constant force that has been there for that team and ultimately carried them to where they are? Malachi Smith. The numbers, the narrative, all of it fit, but Noah Gurley's going to be first. Team. Or not on it at all. If you yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, Noah Gurley should be in the top 15 players. I don't think that's a I, – I, yeah, that was shocking. And, again, sometimes when you start going down the list, right, you can leave somebody out without really noticing it because you're, you're sitting there and like, golly. Because, honestly, you know, I had a – they give you a list of like 30. I got it down to 20 pretty quick. And then you get into, okay, sort of, who is in the last group to get in. And I could see that. But I, I'm really – at least he had Malachi Smith on the second team. And I could say, okay, Furman's first. I mean, I mean look,
0: Dooms opts out. Just, Banks doesn't play until ju- the second half of the I year. Like, just, there's so many moving parts. I just feel like,
1: to me, the top five players were were hard for anybody to talk me out of. And, again, the only difference is he, he didn't have Malachi Smith in. But the other four, me, him, you, Ken Brown, all agreed upon is is that. You know, Brown, Parham, Murphy, Miller. with Miller being player of the year. And, then, and, again, I think all those guys are going to be all-conference. You know, maybe it's not that big of a deal to some people, but we run a, you know, a podcast where we like to argue and go back and forth. So that's what we're talking about. And I would just put Malachi Smith over all three of the Furman guys. All three of the Furman guys deserve to be on an all-conference team, whether that's all on the second team or two guys on the second team and one on the third. But they all are right are there. And you put them all second team, I'm fine. If they win the league and you go, well, I need to have a guy on the – best team, be on the all-conference team, fine with that. I still think it's Mike Bothwell. I still think you could make an argument for Clay Mounts number-wise than Noah Gurley, and Gurley's an outstanding player. Maybe I can't get over he had a goose egg <laughs> against CTSU, but that's not really it because I just think Mike Bothwell, I think he do and I don't, I don't have numbers exactly in front of me, I think Mounts probably is the better rebounder. Bothwell's probably the better all-around guy. Gurley's just a tough matchup and does things defensively, too, that I think he doesn't get credit for. But I, I don't know. I, 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 it's still a bigger fail. Going back to the original question, bigger fail Kevin Brown. There's no sense Noah Gurley's not in the top 15 players, period.
0: Here's where we're at stat-wise. Everyone's between 13.5 and, and 16 points. Everyone's between five rebounds and six and a half rebounds. Assist advantage goes to Bothwell and Gurley, Steals Everyone has between 22 and 36 blocks. He got the advantage for Gurley. Field goal percentage, 478, 484, 41 That's why I'm saying they're all so dangerous. close. How do you put one on and don't put all three of them on? That's why I put them all on the second team, and you've got one guy that has carried his team in Malachi's Smith.
1: Yeah, again, I, I agree, I, I and that's the route I went is right. is all three of the Furman guys. I believe are on the second. I have to go back and look. Um, but that being said, I, I agree, and if I didn't, I had at least two. <laughs> and then one maybe knocking on the door. Again, you got to pick 15 guys, but I I am your train of thought is my train of thought, and this is why Sokon John and Kim Brown just need to let us do this, <laughs> and they need to sit back and not be media guys. Right? Nice
0: guys. SoCon John and Ken Brown just a bit misguided. All right, guys. there we go.
1: All right, let's talk about our bold predictions. Tom Brady won't make that mistake. Thompson, comeback player of the year. Calling it right now. The season Jim Harbaugh is
0: taking Michigan to the national championship. Well, there's just no doubt. The Southern Conference will be playing football in 2020.
1: Mike Forrest, L-O-L. Steve Ford, most certainly, will be
0: back in the blue and gold. Jay Sandos will fulfill his New Year's resolution 30 pounds down during quarantine. What you just said
1: is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. A simple wrong would have done just fine. All right, bowl. we got to go. All right, bowl prediction. All right, I'm going to go. You're going to like this. I'm going to go UNCG, three road losses, combined 28 points. I'm splitting the difference, ETSU, by 14 or more.
0: Okay. Kelly Post is going to go out with a bang. Double-digit points on senior day.
1: Sanford is minus 15 in football. They will beat West Carolina by four or more touchdowns, 28 or more.
0: I'm carrying my bowl prediction over from last week. David Sloan, a career high in points.
1: Western Carolina makes it two in a row on the hardwood
0: Wow Although, yeah. Idaho or 0-19, South Carolina State 0-15 The last two winless teams in the country Gonzaga and Baylor are undefeated The last two teams without a loss in the land Idaho or South Carolina State will win And Gonzaga or Baylor nice. will lose Keep an eye on that Gonzaga plays LMU at home Baylor is at Kansas That could be a loss Idaho, home against Montana State South Carolina State at home against FAMU Let's go no, all right, we'll be back to recap all
1: this after the weekend. Sanderson's sidekick on the bucket air! Sports Network. Go Bucks.